Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, we're glad to have you with us on this day. And uh, I know uh, some of you, this is your first, first Sunday back, and uh, you're, uh, you're grateful for the moment uh, of being gathered to celebrate all kinds of things, to celebrate the life that we have in Christ, to celebrate uh, with one another. And um, we're uh, tomorrow evening, uh, I'll be meeting with our elders uh, to see if we're going back to, to two services beginning next week. Um, that may be happening. But if you will just continue to stay kind of following on Facebook and following uh, on, on Realm, uh, other social media that we have uh, available. It's a ba- it's a ba- I started to say it was a bad hit. Okay, I think... Uh, just pause for just a second. Um, I think I've got a wire that's gone bad here. Um, is there another uh, headset uh, in the house? Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kind of walk around delicately with this one. Um, and if somebody comes up with one, uh, that'll be cool. If not, then um, that'll be cool too. I'm, I'm just going to kind of balance there. I, I tell you all what, you all just talk among yourselves. You can just lay that down right there, brother. Okay, good, 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 good. All right, well, um, we're going to uh, just kind of press on. Grab your Bibles. Let's, we'll, we'll dispense with the small talk. Apparently, it got me in trouble. Uh, let's go straight to the word of the Lord today. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, this is something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart for a little while, uh, a passage, just a verse out of Isaiah 43. And uh, I'm grateful that the Lord... Uh, gave me the opportunity today to to speak out of it. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43 as soon as I get untangled. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 15. Verse 15. So if you have your Bibles open there, starting in verse uh, 15. It says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now, when God introduces himself that way, I think he's wanting us to stand up and pay close attention because he is describing himself in some incredible ways. He wants you to know he is holy. He wants you to recognize his holiness. He wants you to know that he has the power to create something from nothing. He, is, he has that kind of creative power. He is He is God creator, and he has the right to rule everything. He's the king. The king has the right to rule, okay? Let's pick up. uh, That's that's just verse 15. We could spend all day there pretty much, but let's keep on. Thus says the Lord. Now, this is the, the God who just introduced himself, okay? Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. 
Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostrich. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Verse 25. God's introducing himself again. I. I am he who blots out your transgression for my own name's sake, and I will remember your sins no more. This, this is the word of the Lord. Now, I want to start today with what I often end with. And normally is kind of at the end of messages. And I, I think so many times we put it at the end of messages because we think somehow what we do up front will convince you. If we just use the right word or the right word play, it will move you to respond to the voice of the Lord. That somehow we can convince you with clever words or something. So... Uh, again, I, I, want, I just want you to hear how God's describing himself to people that he loves. And I want you to realize that includes you. Includes you here in this room. It includes those worshiping by home. In verse 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, he says. And I will not remember your sins anymore. God, God says that activity, I, I, my saving activity takes place for my sake. That's what God says. He, he didn't say I'm saving you for your sake. He said I am saving you for my sake. What, what, what in the world could that be about? Well, God says I'm going to handle your sin problem. I'm, I'm going to handle it. Remember earlier God described himself as the holy one. And basically what, what that means is he is perfect, he is good, he is right in all his ways, and we are not. He's so good and right and perfect that he cannot be in the presence of that which is not good and right and perfect without wiping it out, without utterly destroying it. And the truth is the Bible says we, all of us, are sinners. All of us are not good and right and perfect in, in all our ways. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us, all of us have sinned and, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of us, the Bible says. Romans goes on to, to, to warn us, to remind us, to tell us that there is a penalty for our sin. And that, that penalty, the Bible says, is, is death, certain death. And when the Bible uses death in that context, what it means is you will be eternally, completely cut off from God. That, that's what death is, is being completely cut off from God. The Bible calls it hell, being completely cut off from God. But we just read in Isaiah chapter 43, God says, for my sake, for, for, for my sake, I am going to blot out your sin. I'm not going to remember your sin anymore. Now, God, God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah 700 years or so, a little over 700 years before Jesus came. And in, in that prophetic word that, that, that he gives, I, Isaiah prophesies about uh, so many things about the coming Savior. We just recently did a study on that. And Jesus, God sent his perfect son, 
the Bible tells us, to die a criminal's death on the cross to be the perfect substitute. He was the only one that was good and right and perfect in all his ways. He was God in the flesh, God, God the Son. And God's Word says that when Jesus came, 700 years after it was prophesied, and he was, he was put on a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and there he became a sacrifice so that you and I might be made right with God if we would, if we would trust him. That's why uh, John three sixteen and 17, many of you are familiar with it, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life because God did not send Jesus. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came but that the world through him might be saved. That was the purpose for Jesus coming. And God says, in that moment, when you realize that your sin, that you are a sinner and that your sin separates you from me, you can repent of that. Repentance is saying you're going this way, your life is planned out, you got got your plans, your activities, what you're going to do. Suddenly you come into the realization that your lifestyle, the way you're living apart from God, will utterly destroy you. And you just literally turn around. And you start going God's way. You're saying, God, there's this realization. There's this revelation. I see your plan now, God. I repent of this way of life, and I choose your way, God. I will, I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to trust you, God. And that's, that's what it means to repent. It means to do this about face. And there's a second part of responding to this great love of Jesus. And, and that means that you start to trust him. You trust that the penalty that he paid on the cross that day, you know, the Bible says that God laid on him the sins of us all while he was hanging on the cross. And what that means is, it's one day you trust him and you said, Jesus, I I believe that you died in my place, that you made me right with God if I would trust in you, your sacrificial death on the cross, the power of your resurrection. And in those, I see that I can have life with God forever. So I repent and I put my trust in, in you. And... He says, when you do that, not only will I take you to heaven when this body ceases to function, he said, I will give you full and meaningful life right now. And the Bible says, in order for that journey to begin for you, you have to start by calling on the name of the Lord. And you call on that name with a heart that truly desires to repent and and turn to God's plan for your life and truly is trusting in the power of Jesus to save and here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in that kind of prayer. Just let you, a, a calling out on the name of God kind of prayer. And I, if you've never trusted Christ and you want to follow along because you're not sure what words to use, you just follow my prayer. Now, those of you, many of you in this room, probably most, have trusted Christ. And so here's what I want you to do while we're praying. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will, will just kind of fall on the hearts and minds of anyone here who's never trusted Jesus and that that will change in this moment. Pray with me, okay? If you've never trusted Christ before and in this moment you realize you want him, you want life in him, I'm just going to encourage you to maybe pray these words silently in your mind to God right after me. Dear God in heaven, I have chosen to live life my way. I now realize, God, that I'm a sinner separated from you by my sin. I realize that you are perfect and holy, and by myself, I am not. I understand that you have ways that are not my ways. You have choices for me that are not the choices I have made. And in this moment, I turn from that to you. I'm deciding right now, God, 
to do life your way. I am making that decision. And I am putting my trust in Jesus that his death on the cross paid for my sins. I am trusting that while he was on the cross, my sin was put on him. I am trusting that when he died, you blotted out my sin to remember it no more. And I trust that when he was raised from death, I too can be raised to life in him. I'm calling on the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me. Father, you know the heart of anyone who just prayed that prayer for the first time, whether they were in this room or watching from home. And I just pray right now, God, they would experience the power of your spirit living in them now. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you're here and for the very first time you prayed that prayer, we want to help you grow to know all the wonderful plans that God has for you in the here and now. Because he, he wants you to grow. It's, it's, it's called being his disciple, being, being his follower. And the first step, Jesus says, that you need to take as his follower is to go public with your decision. And so I want to encourage you, before this day is over, if you trusted Christ for the very first time today, tell three people. Tell three people. You don't have to use big theological church words. You can just say, I realized I needed Jesus, and I gave my life to him. Another way that you can display publicly your affection for Jesus is doing what he said we needed to do next, which is follow him in baptism. And we're going to be doing baptism in the month of July. And so here's what I'd like for you to do. If you prayed this prayer, whether it was in this room or in your home for the first time, I want you to call our church office, and the number is 843-CONNECT. If you can remember the word connect, 843-CONNECT. Call that number and let someone know who answers the phone. They'll be so glad to hear this, be the first one to hear it maybe, that you trusted Jesus because we want to help you take those, take those next steps. But, but get out there and tell somebody, and you know, w- because we want to help you grow. It, for those of you who don't know, that's part of why we gather every week. We, we gather for the purpose of celebrating and worshiping the goodness of God, the salvation that he has given us, the fact that he, he for his sake, chose to blot out our sin. And, and remember it no more. It still blows my mind that he does that. He chose that for, for his sake. And so we gather and we worship and we praise his name, but we also look to his word for that new pathway, that new life that he tells us he wants to live. So I want us to continue doing that today. So I want you to look back at Isaiah 43. I want to give you some quick background of what was going on uh, in that time. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying about a day yet to come. In Isaiah chapters 40 through 47-ish, 48-ish, God is giving Isaiah visions of what's about to happen uh, couple hundred years from now in the nation of Israel, that there's going to be this nation that arises from the east, and they're going to conquer Jerusalem, and they're going to haul off some of God's people out of Jerusalem and bring them back to Babylon. And while there, they're going to cry out to God and lament. And God, God tells them, this is going to happen. And then Isaiah About a hundred years before the dude is born, Isaiah prophesies that there'll come a king who will conquer Babylon. And Isaiah, God gives him the name of the king a hundred plus years before he's ever born. He names him Cyrus. You can read about this in Isaiah 44 and 45. He just calls the name out. 
Dude's not born yet, won't be born for over 100 years. And, and he says, the, the, the king's name's going to be Cyrus. He's going to be my shepherd servant. There's a whole story about him being connected to shepherds. It just an, an incredible story, just powerful. And in the middle of that, God is telling his people that when you're in captivity, when you're in captivity, I'm going to do a, a work. I am going to provide for you. So back to verse 15, he says, I'm the Lord, your holy one the creator of Israel, your king. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariots and horse, army and warriors. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. And so what God does is he takes them on a brief history lesson. What historic event from the nation of Israel does that sound like? That description right there. God's people, you know, they, they would have recalled this. That they loved this story every time they got into trouble. What, what is this the account of? This idea of God making a way, parting a path through mighty waters. Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14, baby. Exodus chapter 14. It's this historical account of a time when God's people have been released from captivity and they're heading, first, first couple of days, they're heading to the promised land. And while they're on their way, they come to the Red Sea and they, they make camp. And the Egyptian pharaoh decides, nuh-uh, I'm getting them. And so he pursues them with his army. And they're, they're backed up against the wall, against the water really, against this sea. They have, there's no way of escape for them until God. Does anybody love that phrase? Until God. Until God shows up, and as he so often does, he will show off at times so you can see his glory. He shows up, and he, the Bible tells us that he parts the Red Sea, leading his people through a path of water that is built up on either side, walls of water on either side, and the ground they're walking on is what? Dry, not wet, dry, dry ground. And so they make their way through the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army decides to pursue them. And if you ever saw the movie with Charleston Heston, you know, some of you, some of, Charleston knew, no, not Charleston, South Carolina, Charlton Heston, you, you know what happens. They, they drive the army in, all of God's people get to the other shore. What happens? The sea collapses. The entire Egyptian army, the Bible tells us, is destroyed, wiped out. Just this incredible thing. Now, do you think God's people, when they were feeling pressed down, pressed upon, didn't think about that? Yeah, they, they always thought about that. They always thought about God, God's deliverance. They recounted that every time they got in trouble. And we get to verse 18, and what does God say? God says, remember not the former things. Now, he has just given that illustration. He has just pointed out this historical event from the, the life of his people. And now he says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. And this leads to the first point that I want to make today. If you and I are going to get to see the new thing that God wants to do around us, and in us, you and I have to stop living in the past. You've got to stop living your life always in the past. Now, it's okay to remember the past. It's okay to pull out the picture albums and flip through them. It's cool. It's okay to look back in your, your, your spiritual journal to see where God moved. It's okay to, to, you know, to even learn from the past. I hope you do. But you can't live there and too many people do because in verse 19 God says this behold and anytime the Bible says behold you ought to stop and behold God says I am doing a new thing God is always doing something new and here's the deal if you want to get in on the good new thing that God's doing he says the first thing you got to do you got to remember not the former things nor consider the things of old and he's talking about being stuck 
He's saying stop living in the past. I love the, the Lion King movie, that little pig Pumbaa. You know, he kept saying, you got to get your behind out of the past. You know, we, we have to do that. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. He goes on to say, now it springs forth. God says, it's springing forth. I'm doing this new thing, and it's, it's kind of coming, coming up. And then God asks a question, and it is not rhetorical, friends. It is not a rhetorical question. God's asked this question. Do you not perceive it? Do you perceive the new thing that God is doing? Do you perceive the new thing that God is doing in you? Do you perceive the new thing that God is doing in our broken world? Do you perceive the new thing that God wants to do and is doing here at River Bluff Church and in the capital C Church? See, part of what is going on here, I think, is too often God's people are expecting what God's about to do new to look like the same thing he did old. Everybody was looking at that day for God to part the Red Sea again. Please hear me. Please grab hold of this. Sometimes the greatest barrier to us seeing what God is doing is looking at what he used to do. Sometimes the greatest barrier to us stepping into the new thing that God wants to do is always only focusing on what he did before. Some of us, when we were first Christians, we could, the fellowship would, the Lord was so sweet, and you just take your Bible and flip it open and put your finger down and start reading, and I mean, God would just say things to you. And you would, you would just kind of feel like you're, you're, you're moved by, by God, you know? The fellowship was just so sweet. And then, then you become a believer for some time, and you're still, you're still trying to do the, the, the magic wand, you know, flip and speak thing. It's kind of like you think you got one of them little toys like the kids do where you pull the string and it, it tells you something, you know? There's a point in time when God stops communicating, communing with you at that level because he wants to bring you to something better. God is always bringing you. The new thing that God does is always to bring you into something better, to move you farther along in your faith. The writer of, of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 warns, this is Joe's translation, okay? Grow up. Quit thinking that all you're going to drink is milk. The rest, of you, It's time for you to, to eat some meat. Your faith should be farther along. Rough translation. But that's God's word. And so God says, I believe. How are you seeking me today? Because he's calling you into something deeper. And God's word tells us, you've got to, you, God's, God says, never forget my faithfulness. Don't ever forget that I am a faithful God. Never forget that. Here's what you need to forget. You need to get, forget the forms through which I was last faithful to you. Because the form is going to change. How, how I'm going to take you there it, it, it is going to change. Don't forget his faithfulness, but forget the, the package that it came and forget, forget the form. The writer of Hebrews, again, he, remember, the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a, uh, a Jewish background people when, when he wrote that. And, and here's one of the deals he keeps saying to them over and over through the book of Hebrews is, you guys are addicted to one kind of deliverance, the law. All throughout Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews keeps saying, there is a better way than the law. There's this new covenant in Jesus. It's better than the law. And they keep running back to the law. They're just, they're just kind of addicted to it because they only see one way of deliverance because that's how God delivered them in the past always. But God, God's grace comes in Jesus now differently. And they keep going back. And the Holy Spirit keeps trying to pull them back because it's, they, they get derailed because it's not what God used to do. And friends... You have to move on. Henry Blackaby said it is impossible for you to go with God and stay where you are. It cannot be done. Those two things can, cannot, 
cannot happen. You know, some of you, some of you come to church, and because you grew up in a church, and you, you grew up in a church where you didn't believe God was happy with you unless you left depressed. Some of you grew up in, in a church where unless somebody stomped on your toes and you left like you had to endure it, it wasn't church, man. I don't know what I just went to, but I feel too good for that to have been church. And God is saying to you, if you're stuck there, forget the former things. I have something better for you. I need to move you on beyond your past. And, and, and God says, do you not see it? Do you not see it? It's, it's springing forth. It's just going to come up out of the ground. I, I call them, this sounds funny since it, I'm, I'm going to use the analogy of a hole, but I call them holes of grace. Maybe I should start calling them springs of grace that just spray up. We, we, God just opens up grace and we just walk into it. That's what God's wanting to do. He just, he's wanting to bring that up. But we'll never see it if we keep living in the past. The, the description in Exodus tells us something interesting. And, and there's something interesting about the tie here, I believe, that God's making through the prophet Isaiah. When you think about that moment in history of Israel at the Red Sea... You'll remember that the water is what was keeping them from their freedom until, until God, until God acted. And they got to the other side, and they, they escaped uh, the capture of the Egyptians. And again, they, they look back and they love that story, you know, because it reminds them of how God, God delivered them through the waters. Through the waters. But God is saying to them, I'm not going to do it that way this time. That's not what's about to happen. And if you stay stuck back there only looking for that, that kind of deliverance, you're going to miss it. Don't you see? I'm doing something new. I'm not going to do it the same way. God says, I'm going to make a way because that's who I am. God just, that's, that's who God is. God makes a way. For, for his people. He's, he's just that kind of God. But this time he's telling them they're, they're in a land that feels like a desert wilderness. And this time God is saying, I'm not going to deliver you through the waters. Instead, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're in a dry, thirsty land, a, wilder, a desert wilderness... What is your greatest physical need? Water. And God says, I'm not going to deliver you through the water. I, I'm not going to do that again. See, there was a time in their history when the water was their, a barrier. What was their blessing? The dry ground they got to walk on to get to the other side. So their barrier was the water. The blessing was the dry ground. Now they're in a desert wilderness. That's the barrier. What's the blessing? God says, I'm going to spring up new life. I'm going to spring up new water. It's going to be, it's going to be incredible. Now, for some of you, what we're talking about here is dealing with your past. For some of you... There was a day that there was something from your past that was killing you. And it may be today that what God is going to do is use that to do something new in you. To, to give you a new deliverance. You thought, you thought it was the, the barrier, but now God can use it to be a blessing. To, to relaunch you into to something new. So, so God says, I'm your king. And this is the kind of king that I am. I'm the kind of king that can turn your barriers into blessings. I'm the kind of king that can turn your pain into a new power for your life. I can do something new with your pain. He says, I'm the kind of God that can take, take your shame and make a way of grace 
so that out of your life of shame, my grace can flow. Now, I'm convicted, I just am, that this is one of the reasons that Jesus over and over seems to constantly be changing the form of his miraculous healings. Comes up to one blind guy. What does he do? He spits in the dirt and says, here's mud in your eye. And he heals him. Other times, Jesus would touch somebody and heal them. Other times, he would just look at them and say, get up, roll up your mat and go. Other times, he would say, I'm not even going to the house. I know, I know your, your, your child's sick. When you get there, they'll be healed. Many, many different forms. And I believe Jesus did that because Jesus knew this. We're addicted to forms. We, we just get, we get so caught up and trapped. We, we make idols out of the forms of deliverance. And Jesus says, do not look at my forms. Quit, quit looking at that. Quit, quit thinking about that. And I just, I fear that so many of us miss what God wants to do, the, the new blessing that he, he's wanting to bring because we're stuck in the past. We're stuck on that idol of form. I, I have some Christian brothers and sisters that I love dearly, love dearly. And in the early days of their, of their personal walks with the Lord, God spoke to them um, in what I'll call supernatural encountering ways. I mean, just what a powerful, dynamic ways, visions even. And they're in a dry desert wilderness today because they have spent every day since then looking for that. And for them, that was milk. That was the milk that God needed to give them to get them where he brought them to saving knowledge of him, to understand his plans for their life. But now they're stuck there because they're looking at the form. And God wants to take them deeper in different ways. And, and, and they won't go. And it's robbing them of their joy in the Lord. God says, behold, I do a new thing. God says, I know it doesn't feel like it used to feel. Does church feel like it used to feel? When I'm walking around with a mask on, you know, God says, I know it doesn't look like what it, what it used to look like, but the Lord says, I'm still faithful. I'm still the one who delivers. I know it doesn't look like how it used to work, but I'm still working faithfully. I know things, God says, have changed in your country. But I'm, I'm still at work. They're not like they were before, but I am faithful, God says, because I am the faithful one. I'm the holy one. I'm the, the Bible says about God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you and I need to be doing, he says, is we need to be looking for the new thing that he's going to do. God says, I always make a way for my people, and I am making a way for you today. Do you not see it? Do, do, do you not see it? So very, very often, when we answer honestly, the answer is no. No, I, 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 I don't see it. And my fear is it's because so often we're looking backwards in the rearview mirror instead of forwards to what God, where God is. Again, I have watched for years that one of the greatest barriers to some people's blessing is what's behind them. Something that God has already wanted to deal with. One of the things that we carry around too often from our past is an offense. We feel offended by somebody. Maybe a parent. Maybe a church member. Maybe a pastor in a church. You're carrying around this offense from your past. Now, here's something that I've observed in my own heart, and I've observed in others that I've tried to disciple. You cannot simultaneously carry around an offense 
and your cross. You can't, you can't carry your cross and simultaneously carry an offense. You will not take up the cross of Christ. You will not find power. You will not see the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life as long as you were living captive to somebody's offense. And God says, please see the new thing. But in order to do that, you've got to stop living in the past. You've got to remember the former things no more. You've got to stop something. And then you've got to start something. You've got to start something new. You've got to start looking. This is the second thing I want you to You've got to start looking for the activity of God today. And there's two kinds of activity that I want to encourage you to look for. The first one is the convicting activity of God today. Because the Holy Spirit wants to convict. Look at, look at Isaiah 43, verse 20. It says this, the wild beast will honor me. And then he gives illustrations. The jackals and the ostriches. Now, he could have picked prettier animals. I mean, those are just ugly animals. But God says, even the ugliest of created animals, they'll honor me. They'll honor me. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to drink. And I do this for my chosen people, the people that I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. I've done all of this for, for my people that we could be in relationship. In verse 22, yet, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. People of God, you didn't call on me. You, it seems like you've grown weary of me. Here's the question. What are you facing right now? in your life, and you're not calling on the Lord with it. What are you trying to do in your own strength? Repair a relationship? You're trying to battle through sexual temptation and you keep losing that fight? Where are you not calling on the Lord in your life? Where are you not taking to Him in prayer? What are you not bringing before the Father? Verse 23 says this, you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings. He, he, he says, you're not, you're not given sacrifice. He says, have I been a burden to you? Is that, what, is that what bringing offering to me is like? Have I wearied you with bringing gifts? He said, you have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have no problem burdening me with your sin have wearied me with your iniquities. So what, what part of your life are you sacrificing for the Lord? How, how are you giving God your time? What, how are you releasing your time back to the service of God? Time is our most valuable commodity. How are you surrendering? How, what what, what of, of your time are you releasing to the work of the kingdom of God? Where are you serving God on a regular, consistent basis? Where are you pouring your life sacrificially into something? What, what about your treasure? Are you, are you withholding that from God? Are you uh, obediently, according to his word, bringing a tenth of what you make to, to his storehouse? Are you, are you going beyond that at times when the Holy Spirit prompts you to be generous to something or someone, a certain cause, and you withhold? How are, you, how are you sacrificing for the Lord? What about your talents? Are you sitting on, on the sidelines? Or are you pouring yourself out as a drink offering? Are you regularly serving Him? Start looking for the convicting activity of God. Also start looking for the convincing activity of God. The convincing activity of God always shows up as grace to me. God does his best convincing through his grace. I'm going to go back to verse 25. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. He's saying, look for his grace. It's springing up all around you. It's just going to spring up. Now, sometimes his grace doesn't look like what we think all the time. Jesus 
said some interesting things about God and his grace, what it might look like. I'm so grateful that Pastor Terry used this to challenge our grads with today is kind of like the greatest part of her challenge. It's John chapter 15. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are Uh, You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here's what I want you to notice out of that passage today. I want you to look back at verse 2. And verse 2 says this. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear, bear more fruit. Sometimes the activity, the grace-filled activity of God hurts a little bit. See, God prunes back. He, sometimes he has to cut away so you can receive even more. And I believe with my whole heart that God is doing that in the capital C church globally and especially in our nation. I, I believe right now in our nation that God is pruning our churches. He's cutting our churches back for his good. You know, the Bible tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I believe he's bringing a disciplining to his church because he has something better. He's going to do a new thing. In our nation, there's a pruning going on. A disciplining grace, I believe. A a judgment because of injustice and and racism. And I believe that God is doing a work there. And I believe it's a work of unity. And I believe he wants that to start primarily in the church of Jesus. Now, it's a work that we will see the pain of our brothers and sisters uh, of color. And the fear that they... If you were in our Wednesday night prayer service uh, online, raise your hand. There's, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us, 15 of us or something like that. In our prayer service, one of our black brothers and sisters were, were there online. And one of the things that was heavy on their heart was they, they, have, two, uh, they have two young men. Uh, they're one's a child, one's a young adult, I would say. And they, they live in fear in our culture for their safety. Now, some of us don't get that. Some of you in this room may, may say, that doesn't make sense. But it's them. And this mother tearfully shared her, her, her heart with us. And I believe God's calling the church to hear those cries. She was crying out to the Lord in our presence. And I believe God wants to do a a, a work in us. Because the Bible says that God desires for justice to roll down like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing river. That's God's plan. How many of you remember Daniel Norman? Y'all remember Daniel Norman? He was a part of our church. He's gone to lead worship at another church. Kind of grew up at, here at River Bluff. Daniel called me last week and says, Joe, I want, to, I want to do something. I want to do something. My pastor told me to call you. I said, okay, you got me. What, what do you want to do, Daniel? He says, I want, I want to put together a prayer walk. I said, okay, I'll help you with that. And so this coming Saturday, I don't know all the details yet, but this coming Saturday, uh, there's going to be a prayer walk from North Charleston around Park Circle. And we'll be posting on Facebook and our Facebook account and Realm and those kinds of things of a prayer walk. And the purpose of the prayer walk is unity, to display unity uh, among God's people. You know, in our nation, I believe there's another pruning going on. There's a disciplining grace, a judgment against pride and greed. God has brought our security of our financial standing to an abrupt halt. And we're crying out to him, putting our trust back in him. Once again, believing that everything we have and everything we are is for his glory. And God will do that. His disciplining grace will draw us back to to where we need to be. You know, Jesus taught us to pray. When he closed out that great prayer, 
the disciples' prayer. When he showed us how to pray, he closed it out by saying these words, For thine, yours, O God, is the kingdom. For thine, yours, O God, is the power. For thine, yours, O God, is the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he didn't give us those to just be words that we recite, but lives that, that we would we'd live. That everything we have and everything we are would be dedicated to him. And then, then we get to see God doing a new thing. A great and wonderful new thing. And he'll do it in you. And he'll do it among us. And he'll do it around us. But we, we got to seek first his kingdom with everything. Let me pray for us. God, we come in the powerful name of Jesus. We come desiring, Lord God, to experience the power of your grace flowing over us. We come needing you, O God, to do a new thing in us. And we choose again this day, Lord, to put the former things aside. Lord, there have been many great and mighty things that you have done here at River Bluff Church. But we're not going to live in the past. Because you're, you're pulling us into something new. The church, our church we know, is going to look different in the days ahead. So we've got we've to let go of former things. And look to you, God. And look to the future where you're already at. Waiting on us with blessing. So, God, we come. We bring ourselves again this moment, this day. We bring everything. We bring everything to worship you. We bring all that we are to you, God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.